Welcome to the Covenant Journey Podcast. We hope to inform, inspire, and encourage you to deepen your faith, knowledge, and love of our Lord Jesus as we explore the timeless treasures of the Bible. Join us now as we explore God's Word. We're going to continue our study in the book of Revelation, picking up with chapter 13. I'm Matt Staver, founder and chairman of Covenant Journey. As we've journeyed through the book of Revelation, we know that it's a revelation by, about, and from our Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus is from the beginning and the end and everywhere in between. So never lose sight of that. We've also talked about the theme of the book of Revelation has an up and down, heaven to earth motif. Continually looking up into heaven when things get bad and then going back down to earth for some additional scenes, almost like changing sets on a theater play, opening and closing the curtain from heaven to the earth scene, and back to heaven and back to earth. Last time we went over the book of Revelation chapter 12, and that began with the vision in heaven that ultimately transferred in that same chapter down to earth. And that is where the vision ultimately represents the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, where the woman was to give birth to our Lord. And as the birth was taking place, the dragon, in this case here known as Satan, who is actually described as Satan, Uh, This particular dragon, or Satan, wanted to devour the child as soon as he was born. The dragon was cast down to heaven, uh, from heaven to earth, and ultimately then makes war with the children of this woman. In other words, believers who ultimately are followers of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so that brings us to chapter 13. This particular chapter is still now focused on the earth. And this particular one, verse 1, chapter 13, begins with this. Then I stood on the sand of the sea. I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads. On his horns were ten crowns, and on his heads blasphemous names. The beast which I saw was like a leopard. And his feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. Understand here there's two different images. The dragon, which was in chapter 12, wanting to devour the child, Jesus, who was born, and then persecuting the woman, which is the church, that dragon is Satan. And so it begins with this picture of a beast that comes up out of the sea that is a characteristic of multiple kinds of animals that have different symbolisms. And the power that this beast has is satanic. It is given by the dragon or Satan himself. It gives him his power, his throne, and gives him great authority. One of the heads looked like it had been wounded fatally, his fatal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled at the beast. They worshiped the dragon, which again is Satan, because he gave his authority to the beast. 
while they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? A mouth speaking great things in blasphemy was given to him. Authority to make war for 42 months was given to him. That's that three-and-a-half-year period that we've already seen, the 1260 days, the 42 months in the earlier chapters. Verse 6, he opened his mouth for blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his dwelling, those who dwell in heaven. It was given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. Authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation was given to him. Notice the passive tense, and that's the passive tense in the Greek, but it also comes out in English. It was given to him. Authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation was given to him. And so what you have here is ultimate authority still reigns over this dragon. You remember the book of Job, where Satan, in the book of Job, comes to God and says, Oh, there's nobody that's faithful to you. And God said, Have you considered my servant Job? Yeah, I've considered him, but you put a hedge of protection around him, and that's why he, he follows you, because you do good things for him. He said, I will allow you a certain rope, but one thing you cannot do is you cannot take Job's life. And you remember the rest of the story of Job. And Job goes from prosperity to losing everything. All of his friends gather around him to give him counsel, and they all give him very bad counsel. Job wrestles with what's going on in his life. He's going to continue to bless God even when things are not doing well. You remember that struggle that he has with people who are telling him, just go ahead and curse God and die. God wouldn't allow something like this to happen to his people. And yet what was going on in Job's physical life was a cosmic conflict between Satan and God, between good and evil. You remember Job remained faithful. And his faithfulness, ultimately, God rewarded him by giving him twice as much as what he had before he faced adversity. It's a similar theme in the book of Revelation. Any authority that Satan has is ultimately cabined, corralled. But it is authority that God ultimately gave in a certain parameter but a line of which he is not able to cross. And ultimately, he will be completely destroyed, as the book of Revelation talks about, and there will be no more death, there will be no more destruction, there will be no more evil. We may not understand all why this happens. In fact, when you read the book of Job, the questions that Job asks are never answered. Why did all this happen to him? God answers Job's questions with his own questions. Were you there when I formed the world? No. Do you know how the stars and every planet just hangs in the middle of space uh, with nothing to support it? No, I don't know that. Do you know how to tame a crocodile? No, but you don't know how to do that, and it's in your own physical realm? If you don't know how to do those things, if you don't know the things that you actually see, 
How would you even understand if I explained to you the cosmic consequences in the spiritual realm of what's taking place? And so Job ultimately is left with the message, trust in God. Trust in God. You know, there is a song, Thy Will Be Done, and it's actually written by somebody who is a Christian who had a miscarriage, and she was going through a very difficult time with the miscarriage. And the song is about her coming through that. And she never thought she would be in a situation where she would lose her child through miscarriage. But the words kept coming to her mind that even in bad times, thy will be done. Not saying that God caused the miscarriage, but I'm just saying that even whether it's good or bad, in fact, we even make those vows in marriage, in sickness and in health, for richer and for poorer, that you will be committed through all of that. And those times are growing times. They're not pleasant. But here you have the passives. Don't forget that. Even in the passives, with these verbs that are passive, meaning that there is another actor outside of it. The dragon is not taking power himself, doesn't have that authority. The dragon is given a certain parameter, but there's a fence that he cannot cross. Now, it says in chapter 13, verse 9, If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, he will go into captivity. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, he will be killed with the sword. Here is the endurance and the faith of the saints. That reminds us of Job. It's a theme all the way through the book of Revelation. Stay truthful. Don't let the physical consequences blind you to the spiritual reality and your ultimate destiny. Verse 11, I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb and he spoke like a dragon. He exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence. He makes the earth and those who dwell in it worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. He performs great signs and even making fire come down from the sky to the earth in the sight of people. He deceives my own people. John is saying he's even deceiving believers. Mm. He deceives my own people who dwell on the earth because of the signs he was granted to do in front of the beast, saying to those who dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast who had the sword wound and lived. It was given to him, another passive, to give breath to it, to the image of the beast, and that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would worship the image of the beast to be killed. Uh, who would not worship the image of the beast? He causes all the small and the great, the rich and the poor, the free and the slave, to be given marks on their right hands or in their foreheads. And that no one would be able to buy or sell unless he has that mark, the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. He who has understanding, let him calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. Now, there's been a lot of paper written about who that might be in verse 18. What that might be with regards to the mark uh, of the beast 
in which you won't be able to buy or sell. And what is that all? How can that all work? You know, when I was younger and I read these passages, they seemed unbelievable. How would you have a mark in your hand and uh, something on your forehead or something like that where you wouldn't be able to buy or sell unless you are authorized to do so? But now with the Internet and with tracing and tracking and implanting different um, computer-type software or codes or technology as small as a grain of rice into the fleshy part between your thumb and your index finger that's happening in some places around the world. With what we see on the Internet, with people being censored because the Internet and social media don't agree with your Judeo-Christian values, shutting down your communications, censoring people that can see or hear you, it becomes very, very easy now to see how you can have this electronic digital means that would give you access or deny access to either buy or to sell, to transact any commercial economic activity, to be traced and tracked. It's very, very easy now to see how this can come to pass, and it's very, very quick. In fact, in China, there are places where you have to download an app on your smartphone, and that smartphone app traces every movement and every person that you come in contact with, and you have to show that as a prerequisite to enter, enter public places. And if you've been to a location or you have contacted somebody that they don't like, whether it's because of COVID or any other kind of pandemic or disease, or whether you're a dissident, you have social credits. And if you say things, you either gain social credit or you lose social credit. They track what you buy. And it depends upon what you buy as to whether your social credits go up or down. So in that situation, you can be denied privileges, denied the right to travel, denied the right to board an airplane. All of that is happening as we speak. Now, in verse 18, where it says, this is a number of a man, his number is 666, there are people that say, well, maybe this was talking about Nero. I don't think it certainly has a complete application to anything in the first century. I think it has certain applications to the first century, but this is not just something that happened in the past. John is writing this at the end of the first century, by the way. And so this is something going on down the line. Now, there's people throughout history. There are people who want to apply that number to certain current names. I won't go into that particular speculation because nobody really knows. What we do know that it is triple six. And what is triple six? It is the opposite of triple seven. Uh, seven is in the scriptures perfection coming from the creation in we see seven, the number seven, throughout the scriptures, including the New Testament, certainly in the book of Revelation. Six is that number that's just below. It's the human number. And when you triple it, you're magnifying it. This is something that is very secular, very anti-God, who believes that there is no God that can exist without God that wants to be God but is human in form. And this is a testing point. 
But Revelation, and we'll get to chapter 14 on another day, gives you a little bit of a pause because it says the next scene, I saw the 144,000, those who have his name, and the name of the Father written on their foreheads. And so there's a contrast. So don't get so depressed at the end of chapter 13. Remember that God is in control. Remember the passes of Revelation 13. Remember the patience and endurance of the saints, the admonition. Remember that there's another scene coming that reminds us that God is still on his throne. Rather than fear the book of Revelation or what may come, the best way is to get in relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ on a daily basis, reading his word, listening to praise and worship, praying, fellowshipping with other believers. And in that, there is nothing to fear. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Jesus says, fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. For more information, visit covenantjourney.org. You've been listening to the Covenant Journey podcast. We hope that we have informed, inspired, and encouraged you to deepen your faith, knowledge, and love for our Lord Jesus as we've explored the Word of God. Visit covenantjourney.org where you can obtain additional notes and information to enhance your study of the Scriptures. The website again is covenantjourney.org. You can also email us at cj at covenantjourney.org. Share this podcast with your friends. Visit covenantjourney.org.